Um, they rushed her to the hospital. She is vomiting, and she's very lethargic. So we need to pray for her. She's a very, very small infant. And then also for um, Christi, Christina Catalano, that is the woman that comes with Joseph Emanuele, to pray for her. So why don't we all stand, and let's just go to the Lord and ask God to really touch these two requests. God, we come before you, and we ask right now, because you are the one that can do all things and do them perfect. So God, if you would just touch Julia right now, God, be with her. And Lord, just surround her with your healing touch. God, take away the fear of the parents, grandparents. God, I just pray that you would give the doctors and the nurses the, God, wisdom to deal with this child. And then, God, we pray for Christina. Lord, that you would be with her. God, help her with her recovery. God, we just pray that, God, all symptoms would go away and that, Lord, she would be herself once again. We ask all this knowing that you're with us in the name that is above every name. In Jesus' name, and everybody says, amen. You can be seated. Um, I am going it's to, a, it's a good topic to start out with in 2024, but I'm going to talk to you about the end times. Um, I talked with our pastor. I have been doing some research. I am not an expert on eschatology. I'm more of a practitioner. Um, I've studied many things over the years, and this is one of those things that I have kind of kept my nose in the book about, because when we came in the church in 1980, there was a lot of talk about the coming of the Lord, as there was when Paul was on the scene. They talked about the, the return of Jesus Christ. But <laughs> if you followed along in Scripture, and you kind of looked at things, they did not have the entirety of the Bible with it at the time, um, they would have clearly understood that there was some time that would have to pass before Jesus would return. But there was definite signs that would be given to a certain generation so that they would be alert and really ready for his return. So there are three areas I want to talk to you about tonight, but um, we'll get into them. But I'm going to start out with a story, okay? So on April 27th, 2014, Mark Wade and his family heard the ominous sound of tornado sirens in their town of Vil Vilonia, Arkansas, along with urgent warnings on their television. They were getting ready to ride out the storm in their closet when a neighbor across the street yelled, come over, we're going in the storm cellar. So Wade and his wife and three-year-old son joined 10 other people and seven dogs in the crowded underground shelter. When they came out, their homes were gone. Nothing was left but foundations. If we had gone to the cellar, if, if we hadn't gone to the cellar, I don't know if we would be here, Wade said. And that's just one example, that's one example of how Heeding warnings can protect us from very dangerous and perilous things that take place, and also from the power of air. From biblical times, humans have stood in awe of atmospheric forces that have unleashed deadly storms. The wisdom of ancient 
ancients included some understanding of signs that preceded wild weather and other calamities. In modern times, the devastation caused by tornadoes, hurricanes, and other storms has motivated meteorologists to constantly improve their knowledge and tools to better predict storms. In 1986, the U.S. National Weather Service issued warnings before 25% of tornadoes with an average lead time of about five minutes. Now, the lead time has increased to 13 minutes and 75% of tornadoes are predicted. And that's from USA Today. To set up an effective early warning system helps to save lives from natural disasters and they are key signs for impending danger and they continue to survey those things. But it's also the same thing for us today as we follow the Lord and we read scripture. There are biblical indicators that discern the signs of the time and so many people are not really adhering to those signs. I had a supervisor when we talked that is now passed from the scene, but he said, coming of the Lord is going to be 40 to 50 years away, and that was only 20 years ago. So we've got to understand that Jesus was the one that wanted everybody to be alert, and he came here for different reasons. One, first of all, was to seek and to save that which was lost, but then it was also to show people how to walk in this life, and then also to warn them of what was coming ahead. So Jesus chided the religious leaders of his day for not recognizing biblical signs of the momentous times that they, at that present time, were living in. Pharisees and the Sadducees were testing Jesus, asking him to show them a sign or miracles from heaven. In reply... Jesus contrasted their knowledge of the weather with their understanding of prophecy. And I think that's for us today, too. Here's what he said in Matthew 16, 2 through 3. When it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites. You know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the time. And we need to understand where we are at this present moment in time because there are so many things that are happening around us that are really, really mind-boggling. And in 60 short years, or should I say 63 years, since 1960, things have escalated very, very rapidly. The key biblical principle is cause and effect, that we reap what we sow. Many passages highlight this overarching truth that obeying God brings blessings, but disobeying God, not listening to what God is trying to tell you, brings a curse. Deuteronomy 28 is an example of that. 
says this in verse 1 and 2. If you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments, skipping down, all these blessings shall come unto you. And then it goes through that. And then later on in verse 15, it says, But it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. I know a lot of times we think that, and this is a common thing that happens to people that live for God a long time, God will forgive me. No matter what I do, God will forgive me. That might be very well true, but there's some day where God will say, this is an end of the forgiveness that I give. And that's called reprobation. You're turned over to a reprobate mind. And then God will no longer hear your prayers. God will no longer hear the prayers of others for you. And you'll just have to go your way and suffer the consequences in eternity. So reading through those curses is really a crash course in understanding the signs of the times. Increasing disobedience to God's commands is a sign of trouble to come. Um, one powerful lesson is very, very, very stark in the book of Genesis, the sixth chapter. And it says this in the fifth verse, the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. What are you living in right now? Everything that's produced for the good of mankind is usually perverted into something that's evil. And it says this in the 11th verse, the world then was filled with violence as humans corrupted themselves in God's creation. So today, what's the earth filled with? And you've probably heard this in the past several weeks or months. The word violence in the Greek is Hamas. And so what you're seeing right now over in the Gaza is violence. It's violence that's perpetrated. Um, I don't think we've learned a lot since September 1st, 2001, or September 11th, 2001, and those were actually descendants of the tribe of Edom, and that's where Hamas comes from. And so God's judgment's already upon the earth, and I'll show you that in a little while, especially upon America, because of what we have all perpetrated as citizens of the United States of America. And so we have got to understand these things because we're living in that time that he's going to shortly come. And don't delude yourself. He won't delay his coming. He will come at a time that you think not. And can I say this? It is not contingent on the feasts of Israel. It is not. I know that when Christ first had his passions, those were all on the feasts. But it does not mean that that is what's going to happen for the rapture, the Feast of Trumpets. That's what it's, no, that's not what that means. It's in an hour that you think not that God will come because if it would be on that day, we'd know. 
And every time that would come around, we'd be ready, as some people have done. Some people were told by Mary White that the uh, rapture was going to happen, seven-day Adventist, and they all sold their things, and they, it never happened. You know, we've, we've had things happen over in the past where people made predictions that the end was going to come, and foolishly, people did what they thought they should do, and it never happened and never came. They were disillusioned. I remember when we were in the church, there was a book that came out, 88 Reasons Why the Lord Should Come in 1988. And there were some people that were in the church, and they bought into it. And the more you'd talk to them and tell them, no, don't do that, the, the more they'd say, you're wrong, you're wrong. And then when 88 came and it didn't happen and 89 came, guess what they did? They fell away from the Lord. So we've got to be very careful, but we've got to be very, very wise in how we look at things. And can I tell you something? Stay away from the internet. Just keep your nose in the book. Look at the prophecies that are in the book because you're going to find everything you want to find and then some on the internet. And, you know, you'll be deceived because some of the voices are just crazy. So this disobedience that happened in Genesis 6 grieved God in his heart. It grieved him because he doesn't want any to perish. He wants all to come to repentance. So even though from God's perspective the storm clouds of the impending flood were obvious, the people of Noah's day ignored Noah's warnings and lived as if nothing were wrong. Jesus Christ made this point in his warning to people about the signs of the end time. Matthew 24, 38 through 39 says, For as in the days before the flood, they were eating, drinking, bearing, and giving in marriage until the, until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will be, be the coming of the Son of Man. So kind of like the proverbial frog in the pot of warm water, and then all of a sudden it boils him to death. Um, sin is beginning to increase all around us. The love of many is waxing cold. And we're getting to a very much boiling point in our society. Year after year, human opinions about sin seem to change. Did you just read recently about the Pope? And he is now going to bless same-sex marriages? Did you ever think that, would, that kind of thing would happen? A while ago, he just posed with pictures of a lesbian nun. You're seeing changes take place that when I was a kid, when I was a kid, I think everybody would have just went, what in the world? But today, just like the frog in warm water, it's getting turned up hotter and hotter, and people are beginning to accept all these wrong things, and they're beginning to change their concept of what sin is. They're beginning to change who God is to fit their needs. And Jesus warned that we would fall prey to apathy, just like the days of Noah. Now, Jesus defined the end times as a period when human survival 
would again be on the line. And this is in Matthew 24, 21 through 22. I'm not going to read it. But I'm just going to go down it. So in this same area of 24, it says there would be in verse 4 and 5 religious deception. And you're seeing it today. You're seeing all sorts of things. You're seeing religious denominations accept homosexuality, even to the point where they're ordaining homosexual, homosexual individuals as far as leaders are concerned. You're seeing all sorts of things. You're, seeing all, you're hearing all sorts of things take place also from this religious deception, telling you what you can and cannot do. In verse 6 and 7, there'd be wars and rumors of wars. Uh, boy, doesn't that strike you, because they're going on all over the place. And not just things that you hear. We heard Brother Art Wilson, when he came to the prayer conference, he's at the UN, he said, there are skirmishes going on that you don't even know about between countries. But the UN knows about them all. Then he said there were famines in verse 7. We're eating good, but there are people right now out on our streets here in America that are starving to death. Not to mention all over the world. And then, verse 7, there would be earthquakes. And my, haven't we heard about that? In a little while, I'm going to say some things about that. He also said in verses 9 and 10, persecution of followers of Christ, including attacks from within the church. From within the church. Brothers and sisters attacking one another. We're supposed to be known as people that love one another, and we're supposed to be known by our love one to another. And then verse 12 says lawlessness. This means the rejection of the law or will of God and the substitution of the will of self. And so this would be the description that truly does fit our, our age. People are more self-centered than ever before. They're more into themselves. There are magazines that talk about self. You know, people are becoming more reclusive because of a pandemic. And they'd rather communicate through social devices rather than have a face-to-face -face meeting. People have become more reclusive because they're self-driven. Verse 14, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached everywhere. There's never been a time that this gospel can reach the furthest regions of this earth. There are people that are being saved via the internet in access-restricted countries. And then Jerusalem will be surrounded by armies and the abomination of desolation will set up. That's in verse 15 and also in Luke 21 and 20. Understanding these signs is not just an intellectual exercise. It's a matter of getting yourself positioned correctly. Jesus gave these signs as a warning that there are in that are intended to motivate each and every one of us to change, to change. And boy, some of the people that have been in the church that have gone away from this wonderful message, they are sometimes the hardest one 
to get to understand that he's coming. And they are so entrenched in what the devil has fed them that I pity their poor souls. Jesus said this, and now we're getting into the meat of things because I want to show you some things and explain some things to you. I wish I had a lot of time because there is a plethora of things to go through. But I want you to pay close, close attention of what we're going to talk about tonight. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 32 through 35, Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, you know that summer is nigh. So likewise you, when you shall see all these things, know that it is near even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Now, I'm not here tonight to get into a discussion of what a generation is. That's all over the map. That's just all over the map. 30, 20, 30, uh, Psalm 90, 70, 80. Um, I'm not going to get into that. But I, I do want to say this. We know what the fig tree is. The fig tree is representative of Israel. And in, in 70 AD, Israel was destroyed, and it was called the Diaspora. That's when they were dispersed all over the place. They went all over kingdom come. Spain, they were in Poland, they were in Russia. They were all over the place. And um, Jerusalem was destroyed. They never had a city ever again. But that is really, when you go to Jerusalem, you understand that is the capital of God. That's, the cap that's where the Shema is. That's where the shin is. You know what that shin is? When you go like this, it looks like this. So the shin is in the land. It's just there. Just trust me, it's there. So in 1948, it was a very critical time as far as the beginning of the countdown for the rapture, the return of the Lord, and the end times are concerned. To be exact, on May 14, 1948, David Ben-Guron, the head of the Jewish agency, proclaimed the establishment of the state of Israel. U.S. President Harry S. Truman recognized the new nation on the same day Israel was admitted. Israel, on the same day. Israel was admitted to the United Nations as a full member on May 11, 1949. It has been a fully democratic country with equal rights for all its citizens from its inception until today. So, that started your countdown. That started your countdown. That generation would not pass away till all these things be fulfilled. You are the rapture generation. We have several living generations. Let me go through those generations. I'm not going to take a long time. I'm just going to tell you. The great generation was born 1901 to 1924. The silent generation born 1925 to 1945. The baby boomer generation was born 1946 to 1964. Gen X was born 
1965 to 1980, millennials. If you find yourself in here, you can go, oh. Millennials were born 1981 to 1996. Gen Z was born 1997 to 2012. And now we're in Gen Alpha. Gen Alpha born 2013, 2025. Boy, there's generations, but this generation, we're not talking about what I've just, this generation, the one from the time that Israel came into being is the one that is going to see the soon return of Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you what, the clock is counting down real quick. The Apostle, the Apostle Paul gave us signs as far as what the world would look like in the very end. That's 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. Katie, you don't have to go there. You don't have to go there. First of all, it said they'd be lovers of themselves. You know anybody like that? I know a lot of people like that. They'd be lovers of money. They wouldn't know how to control money. They'd just love money because the love of money is the root of all evil. More, more, more. They'd be boasters. They'd be proud individuals. They'd blaspheme. Boy, and we're seeing that more and more and more, blaspheming God. They'd be disobedient to parents. We've got a wonderful generation of children that love their parents, don't we? Not. They'd be unthankful. They'd be unholy. They'd be unloving. They'd be unforgiving. They'd be slanders. They'd be without self-control. They'd be brutal. Despisers of those that are good. They'd be traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasures rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. So we're seeing all that take place. We're seeing people fitting into these categories and having multiple portions of these. They're, they're just... They're all a part of these end-time signs that Paul talked about. But you know where we really came to a significant shift in life that really tells me that we are fastly racing the rapture? And I said it earlier. It was the 60s. The 60s really opened up the door to spirits in this world. Um, the 60s were a very, very, for America, I'm saying, for America, we, we're supposed to be the ones that are the, the shining light on a hilltop. We're the ones that sent out missionaries. We're the ones that were Christian, a Christian nation. Uh, we were watching the Bells of St. Mary yesterday, or two days ago, and in the Bells of St. Mary, which was, I think it was 1945, wasn't it? That's when it was produced. They said the Pledge of Allegiance, and they didn't say one nation under God. Why? Because it wasn't added yet. It wasn't added as of yet. My wife said, why didn't they say that? It wasn't added as of yet. So we added that later on, and then we put that one nation under God. Our monetary system, our, our, our change, our, our bills have one nation under God. We were a Christian nation. 
when the pilgrims came here, they came here for religious freedom. So we were supposed to be a Christian nation, blessed of God. But the 60s really, really put a spin on things. In the 60s, the moral atmosphere that surrounded us changed completely. I lived in the 60s. It was weird. It was a weird time to grow up. In the 60s, the Supreme Court ruled that school-sponsored prayer in public schools violated Establishment Clause of the First Amendment. That was Engel versus Vital. And I remember, I remember, when I was a little kid, not only saying the Pledge of Allegiance, but praying. But then it shifted in 62. The other thing that changed was music changed. Remember the Beatles? Ah! Beatles came with these long haircuts, and they had all this different music, and then there was Elvis Presley, Mr. Gyration Hips, that they couldn't show from here down because he was gyrating. Music changed, and the inference of what rock and roll meant. I'm not going into that. So music changed, and with that change, so did the youth of America changed. Then drugs were starting to explode on the scene during, during that decade as well. Tune in, turn on. And then, how could we forget Woodstock? 1969 brought in free love. This was the sexual revolution that was taking place. And then another thing happened in 69 that changed the world, the whole world. It was called the Stonewall Riots. And it was also called the Stonewall Uprising. It began in the early hours of June 28, 1969, when the New York City police raided the Stonewall Inn. It was a gay club located in Greenwich Village in New York City. The raid sparked a riot among bar patrons and neighborhood residents as police roughly hauled employees and patrons out of the bar, leading to six days of protests, violent clashes with the law enforcement outside the bar on Christopher Street, in neighboring streets, and in nearby Christopher Park. The Stonewall riots served as the catalyst for the gay rights movement in the United States, and then around the world. Gay Pride Day actually is the celebration of that riot. Now, we have seen the advent of LGBTQQIP2SA. This is ridiculous. What that all means is lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, questioning, intersex, pansexual, two-spirited, and asexual. This is the debauchery that we have sunk to in a very short time. And it keeps adding on. Why? Because it's spirits. It's spirits that have taken hold, not just of America, but in the entire world. The 60s also gave rise to abortion laws. In the late 60s, 
11 states liberalized their abortion laws. And in 73, the Supreme Court established the legal right to access abortion nationwide with its landmark decision in the Roe v. Wade case. The consequences of Roe v. Wade to date in America, 63,459,781 total abortions since 1973. That is not a worldwide statistic either. God help us. God help us. We will, as a nation, be judged for that. We will be judged. No matter how much prayer you do right now, America will be judged. We will be judged for all the debauchery that we have put in place. And you've got to understand it. These are 10 of the deadliest natural disasters that happened in 2023. These are just 10. Earthquake takes more than 55,000 lives in Turkey and Syria, February of 2023. Storm Daniel kills at least 4,352 people in Libya, September 2023. Earthquake kills 2,946 in Morocco, September. Earthquake in Afghanistan kills at least 1,480, October. Tropical Cyclone Freddy kills at least 679 in Malawi. Flooding in the Democratic Republic of the Congo kills at least 438 in May. Earthquake claims at least 157 lives in Nepal in November. Cyclone Mocha kills at least 145 in Myanmar. And heavy rains and flooding kill at least 129 in Rwanda. And finally, wildfire kills at least 100 in Hawaii. And there's, there's tons of other things, but I just took the 10 worst. People have lost to natural causes. Now this is a letter to the UN from Professor Dr. Francis A. Adila. He says, dear colleagues, Disasters and catastrophes are not new to societies. They have occurred since ancient time as surviving historic tales of their tolls on human life and the, the economy suggest. However, in the first two decades of the 21st century, mega disasters and catastrophes triggered by natural hazards, technological accidents, psychopolitical hazards, other human activities, biological hazards, and a blend of these hazards have increased in frequency and magnitude, causing an unprecedented number of casualties in terms of deaths, injuries, and economic losses across the globe. In the latest global assessment report on disaster risk reduction, the United Nations emphasized that at no point in human history have we been confronted with such an array of both known and unknown risks, often interacting in a hyper-connected, rapidly changing, globalized world. We are faced with new risks, with uh, intricate linkages, such as COVID-19 pandemic. Prior projections or predictions about climate change have come to pass much sooner than anticipated. 
among the major disaster events in the 21st century are high-intensity hurricanes, tropical cyclones, massive flooding, tornadoes, earthquakes, tsunamis, droughts, fires, dam failures, industrial technology disasters, aviation disasters, and ter terrorism. I am calling for papers whose theoretical, method methodological, and substantive approaches address specific aspects of catastrophe or disaster of the 21st century within a country or in a comparative cross-country setting. Potential contributions to this special issue might include, and then it goes down this list. They're recognizing that these things have increased in the 21st century. It's time to wake up. Here's a world that's just looking at them, but we are Christians. We were warned by Christ almost 2,000 years ago that these things would begin to take place. We have to alert ourselves, our family members, our friends. So these things are beginning to happen at a rapid rate. The world knows it. So that's moral issues. Now, here's something that I, th I don't think you really consider. The dawn of AI. I'm perusing a book right now. I'm going on the internet looking at certain things that technology is doing, but I'm going through a book right now. It's called The Dark Aeon, A-E-O-N. And they're talking about metaphysical representation. What that means is cyborgs. That's what they're, they're exper experimenting with doing things that will affect humans. One thing that they're wanting to do is they're wanting to bore into the top of your skull. Elon Musk is doing this. And they're taking a chip. It's called CBM, Computer Brain Interface. They're implanting the chip in the head and they're taking silicon fibers, attaching them to certain parts of your brain so that you can interact with a computer. How effective is it? They did it to a Macau monkey. And the game Pong, the monkey just thought, and he could beat the game. He was faster than any human being could ever be just by thinking. They took a full-blown ALS victim who could not speak. He was doubt. They put one in his head, and the CEO that did it used his phone. The person by mind texted his loved ones. They're finding that this is, is really something that can really take off in the future. And uh, chat GBT, that came out, I think it was in October of 2022. There were 50 million, or 50, yeah, 50 million users. To date, there are over 500 million users on ChatGPT, and now it's version four. It can do things faster and faster. But see, we don't look at these things. We don't understand these things. Sometimes we stay in a cubicle of our own. Um, we've got some time. Katie, put on number two, the second. I want you to watch what they're doing right now with robotics. Less than 30 years ago, advanced robots were nothing but a hopeful dream and futuristic vision. Fast forward to today, and thanks to the ever-increasing advancements in science and technology, these visions are genuine realities. 
Today, we're looking at real-life robots that will make you think that the future is now. Sophia. Sophia is a social, humanoid robot whose design centers around artificial intelligence. Created by Hanson Robotics Company in Hong Kong, Sophia was activated on February 14, 2016 for the very first time. She made her first public appearance a month later at South by Southwest Festival in Austin, Texas, United States. Sophia can function in many ways by using artificial intelligence, visual data processing and facial recognition. Having cameras in her eyes allows this humanoid to follow faces, keep eye contact as well as recognize individuals. Sophia can also process speech and hold a conversation with the scripted replies that have been programmed within her. Sophia is capable of more than 60 facial expressions that make her look incredibly real. She also has a sense of humor and can express genuine feelings. To make her more human-like, Sophia was upgraded with functional legs in 2018. So now, not only does she stand just shy of six foot, but she can move around at the top speed of 0.6 miles per hour. Sophia has been designed for the purpose of education, research and entertainment. She also helps promote public discussions regarding artificial intelligence ethics and the future of robotics amidst human society. Sophia has shown off her drawing abilities by drawing a portrait of the Prime Minister of Malaysia and a portrait of the blonde bombshell Holly Willoughby. On October the 25th, 2017, Sophia was granted full citizenship of Saudi Arabia, the first ever robot to be able to achieve this status. The United Nations also presented Sophia with the title Innovation Champion. Sophia is indeed a revolutionary robot, to say the least, and there's a possibility of many more upgrades to follow. She certainly is an AI bot to keep your eye on. Robocop. Remember the film Robocop? Well, Robo isn't just a fictional character anymore. This cyborg is real. PAL Robotics developed this one-of-a-kind robot cop for the Dubai police force in May 2017, and it has been enjoying its full-time role ever since. The Robocop is a life-sized robot that independently patrols Dubai's city malls and tourist attractions, keeping the streets safe and sound for people to enjoy. People can report crime, get information and pay fines by simply using the touchscreen display on Robo's torso. And if you find you're not satisfied with the tech bot, then you can reach an actual human by pressing its SOS button. Robocop is even able to identify wanted criminals and collect evidence, making it a real asset to the police department, not just a fun gimmick. Being multilingual means that it is capable of speaking many languages from all around the world, including Arabic, English and Mandarin which is really important in such an internationally visited city. Robocop has been so successful in helping the citizens and police of Dubai that the local government is aiming to increase the size of its police force by 25% in the form of robots by the year 2030. Kuri. Kuri is a tiny home robot that is only 20 inches tall and 14 pounds in weight that's been designed by a United States-based company, Mayfield Robotics. Kuri can smartly roll around the house, avoiding obstacles by using integrated lasers to navigate and map its way around your home. Designed to specifically interact with humans, Kuri is the perfect addition to any household and acts almost like a little robotic companion. This adorable bot roams around in your house just waiting to be interacted with. Kuri responds to your voice, recognizes faces, plays music for you, and even captures photos and videos of your memorable moments. Not only is Kuri a cute companion, but this bot also does the work of a security guard by detecting intruders with its rotating security camera. Unlike most robots, Kuri has a genuine personality and isn't shy about this either. Using a bright LED, Kuri will display how she's feeling, 
letting everybody know if she's feeling angry, sad, or lovable. Kuri is a super high-tech companion robot that could easily become your new best friend. Toyota THR3 The Toyota THR3 is a third-generation humanoid robot by Toyota that works by mimicking the maneuvers of its human operator. To control the robot, the operator is partnered up with a wearable controller that sends movement data to the THR3. Where this means that any movement like the operator before. makes, the robot will make too. The THR3 has 29 Avatar. body parts, which includes 10 fingers and 16 master control systems, which enables its movements to be natural and smooth. Katie, the incredible human-like movements is what makes this robot so... You can see things like that out there, and you can see what they've done, the sophistication that they've done with a lot of these robotics. They're getting faster. They're starting to emulate human movement more, and they're putting a synthetic skin on them to make them more realistic. They had a debate between two of them, and as they were debating, that Sophie said that she was there to help humanity to be more loving. The partner said, no, we're not. We're here to take over the world and destroy humans. Now, you can say that that was just programmed into them, but some of the responses that these robots have, they are thought by themselves. We are known as sentient creatures. We're sentient, which means we can perceive and feel things. That's, and we, we grow with the thought process. These robots are sentient. And I want to show you this, this one right now because you've got to understand, uh, this is from Google. They have tried to put limits on the experimentation of these things. Um, Elon Musk wants it, others, because it's getting away from them too fast. Um, you heard, and I don't even know what his name is from Google, he was the godfather of AI. He quit because he saw the disaster that would take place if they keep going with AI. And Google is pushing the envelope. They're pushing the envelope. Why? Money, consumers. But eventually what could happen is AI could take over and become more powerful than human beings in their thought process. But I want you to see the experiment they did with a thing called Gemini. And this is a test that they did. Go ahead, roll number one. So now what you're about to see is Google's multimodal capabilities. One of the things that Google has talked about previously was exactly how Gemini would be focused mainly on multimodal stuff and that they would increase the capabilities of the multimodality. This example that you're about to watch clearly demonstrates how advanced Google Gemini's multimodal capabilities truly are. All right, testing Gemini. Here we go. Tell me what you see. I see you placing a piece of paper on the table. I see a squiggly line. What about now? The contour lines are smooth and flowing, with no sharp angles or jagged edges. It looks like a bird to me. Hmm, what if I add this? The bird is swimming in the water. It has a long neck and beak. It is a duck. Yes. A duck is a type of waterfowl in the family Anatidae. Ducks are closely related to geese and swans. 
The duck appears to be blue. This is not a common color for ducks. However, there are some breeds of blue ducks. These are typically not as common as other duck breeds. It is more common for ducks to be brown, black, or white. Are you sure? What the quack? I was just talking about a blue duck, and now you're holding one. It looks like blue ducks are more common than I thought. Would this float? I'm not sure what material it's made of, but it looks like it might be rubber or plastic. What if I tell you it's making a squeaking sound? Oh, if it's squeaking, it's definitely going to float. Hmm, nice. It is a rubber duck. It is made of a material that is less dense than water. Can you teach me how to say this in a different language? And give me a few options. Ooh, can you explain how to pronounce the Mandarin one? Is it Yatsu? Yatsu is pronounced with a first tone. In Mandarin, there are four tones, which are essential to distinguish the meaning of words. The first tone is a high, level tone. Oh, okay. The duck is in the middle of the ocean. There is no land nearby for the duck to rest or find food. It is unlikely to find ducks here naturally. Okay, based on what you see, come up with a game idea. Oh, and use emojis, please. How about this? We can play a game called Guess the Country. Sure, sure let's do it. Clue one. It doesn't this fit on the screen. What he was doing was he was testing this Gemini, and Gemini was, was answering him when he would do specific things. He put two bundles of yarn out. One was blue and one was pink. And he said, what can you do with this? He said, well, you can make a rabbit. And he showed what the rabbit would look like. He said, you can make uh, some kind of a ball. He showed what the ball looked like. So AI is, is beginning to think for itself uh, after programming it with hundreds of thousands of, of books and data from things. But what it's also doing is it's also getting a mind to itself and beginning to be like us, sentient, be, being able to communicate. And the thought process is so quick that they said it will eventually put people out of jobs. Some of the jobs they said they'd be putting people out of is like doctors, lawyers, teachers. They even have a tutor where a child can have its robot and it will help the child with their homework rather than parents helping with their homework. So we are getting more and more advanced and we're becoming more and more of a civilization that thinks it's God and no need for anything else. Now we're at 8.03. Um, I think I'm going to stop here, but if Pastor will let me, there's another sign that's taking place and it's happening right now in Israel by that lower half called the Gaza. And this is prophetic. And as this unfolds, uh, Psalm 83, you all go home and read Psalm 83, and I'll tell you what Psalm 83 talks about is a coalition of people that will come together. And the coalition of people are the tents of Edom, the Ishmaelites, the Moabites, the Hagarites, the Gebelites, Ammon, Amalek, and Philistia, and Tyre, Assyria, and Lot. Who are these people? The tents of Edom are the Philistine refugees and southern Jordanians. The Ishmaelites are Saudi Arabians. The Moabites are Palestinian refugees and central Jordanians. The Hagarites are the Egyptians. The Gebelites are the northern Lebanese. The Ammon is 
Palestine refugees and northern Jordanians. Amalek is Arab south of, Arabs south of Israel. Philistia is the Philistine refugees and the Hamas of the Gaza Strip. Tyre is Hezbollah and southern Lebanese. Assyria is Syrians and perhaps northern Iraq. What's happening right now is you're seeing what should, should probably take place in maybe the upcoming months or years, a war that's going to take place between Israel and those surrounding nations. Right now what's happening in Philistia, Netanyahu said this, there will be no two-state solution. And where America is wrong is they are infringing on the boundary lines of God when they ask for a two-state solution. The boundary lines of Israel go from the uh, Nile River all the way up to the Euphrates River. So it takes all of that land mass that I just talked about that is really Israel's. So you will see in the upcoming days, long before the rapture, you're going to see a war that's going to take place. And I'll tell you what, when you get things and signs like this, if you were told that a dam was most likely going to break in an area that you lived in, I don't think you'd keep your property there, would you? You'd get up and move. So right now, if you're sitting on your religion and you're not doing anything, you better start to take stock in the fact that Christ is coming soon and that he wants you on high alert, high alert. And don't be disheartened and don't become anesthetized with what's going on. He is coming back. And so if you have loved ones, now's the time to begin to pray for them. Now's the time to begin to ask God to open up a door that you can speak with them. If you have friends, begin to reach out to them. Are you going to get rejected? Sure, you're going to get rejected. But if you keep coming back again and again and again and pray, you will have success. Why? Because we're here for one thing and one thing alone. We're here to reflect the glory of God, and we're here to help save the lost. That's what God's asked us to do. And when you get before him, he's going to say, what did you do with the talent that I've given you? So there's much more that goes to this. There's many more signs of prophecy that are in the word of God that are still yet to be fulfilled, and we're starting to see things take place at a very rapid rate. So be prepared. Let's bow our heads. Father, we come before you and we ask right now that, Lord, you would get us to that point where we stimulate ourselves to understand that we need to be about your business. We need to begin to tell people that they need to have a relationship with you, that you are the one that can save them, you are the one that can enlighten them, you are the one that can help them through any problem, any trouble, and that, God, there's an eternity to gain and a hell to shun. So I pray for each and every one here today, Lord. God, put them on high alert. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody says, amen.